Welcome to episode 52 of Teach Me Tiger. to Teach Me Tiger, the show where we talk to our experty and enthusiastic friends to learn about new stuff. And today, we're experty. It's us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Internet uh, experts. <laughs> I'm Melody Starkweather. I'm your regular host on the show. And here with me today are Nikki Roshan Kaiser and Liz Cooper. <laughs> you should each say who you are just so people know who's who. I'm oh. Nikki Roshan Kaiser. I am Liz Cooper. I'll make my voice deeper so it doesn't sound like either of my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make my voice deeper so it sounds more like Liz. (laughs) You still sound like a lady. (laughs) Damn it. No one has ever accused me of being a lady. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes we like to research things we're interested in and tell you about it rather than bringing in more legitimate experty types. But I think that's... Because who needs experts with the internet? <laughs> yeah, it's still totally legit. Uh, yeah, so today's show is one of those episodes. And we're going to be telling you about some incredible animals and some research and projects that sciencey humans have performed with said animals. What are you guys talking about? I'm going to talk about the octopus. I am obs- now re-obsessed with octopuses. <laughs> nice. They're amazing. Is it octopi or octopuses? Well, fun fact, it's actually octopuses. No. And Yeah. And the reason why is because the I in octopi would be if it was a Latin word, but octopus comes from Greek. So you don't put the Latin pluralization on a Greek word. Interesting. Isn't that Lord. bizarre? I'm already learning That's, so much. I had no idea. That is. 100% true. So when I was watching all these videos and people were referring to them as octopi, I was like, I can't listen to anything you say. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Nothing you say matters. Hey, Liz, what did you research on the interwebs? I did a moderately deep dive slash pretty shallow dive on crows. <laughs> Not a uh, belly flop. It wasn't a belly flop, <laughs> but it's like a solid effort. And then I read one bananas article on peter the dolphin that i'll tell you about so it was a pretty shallow dive but it's solid did you watch the crow (laughs) did i watch the crow with brandon lee no (laughs) obviously (laughs) you know liz you're a movie person i was really expecting you to sum up (laughs) to tell us about the crow do you know what's funny is that i've never even seen the crow no yeah no I've even seen that. Okay. And I am a movie person and I've never seen it. And I've never seen a Bruce Lee movie. Shame, Liz. I will, Shame. Liz, I will offer you this if you're interested. I will watch <laughs> The Crow with you online Ooh. because I was obsessed with that movie as a teenager. Like I had the comics. I dressed up as The Crow for Halloween a couple of times. <laughs> so. you, were, you were not alone, Nikki. It was big when we were in high school. I was like, 
It was huge. And then there was that crazy story about how Brandon Lee died on set. Oh, yeah. Because of the bullet casing. And then everyone thought that he was just joking around because he was such a jokester. And if they had gotten to him sooner, he probably would have lived. And it, like, it was oh, so no. tragic. Is that and, true? I didn't know that. Yeah. Apparently, people thought he was just messing around because it was a stunt gun. <gasps> but it was like something from the stunt gun that misfired and like lodged in the exact perfect place. And people thought he was just messing around because he messed around oh, on God. set all the time. I know That's it was so awful. tragic. Oh my gosh. So tragic. That's so like goth. I know <laughs> it really is. <laughs> the soundtrack is amazing. Like dude, we should have an online hang and watch the crow. I do it. Can we drink? <laughs> yes, well, please. Great. Then I'm in. Cool. Do you guys want to know what I researched? Oh, yeah. What'd you research, Mel? I'm covering Coco the gorilla and Alex the parrot. Very interesting creatures. animals. Yes. Very. They are celebrities, if ever animals were celebrities. (laughs) Talking about, like, gorillas and animals, like, animals that have been kept in captivity for a long time for the benefit of humans, like Coco and stuff, I find it, like... It's hard. So heartbreaking. Like I can't. Okay. But Coco. So I think animals kept in captivity in like cages and stuff in lab laboratories or whatever. But like Coco the gorilla and Alex the parrot were treated like they were the handler's children. Like they hung out with them. Like, I don't know about Coco didn't come home for holidays, but the parrot lady would like bring all the birds home every holiday and bring them home on weekends sometimes. And like they were her like homies. Yeah, and I think that that's, like, it's, oh, God, it's just so tragic, the weird shit that humans have done to animals. My story has a bit of that as well, so. Yeah. The thing that's weird about that is that, like, you can't treat animals like your children because they're not your children. And they don't have the same needs as your children would. Like, I can understand that impulse and being like, I'm doing the right thing because I'm treating them this way, but they don't necessarily need that. They have moms. That's (laughs) true. They don't need us to be their moms. That's true. I think I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm uh, open minded to hear about Coco and Alex's Absolutely. story. Me too. But I am kind of with you. Like there was this other crazy story I heard about a chimpanzee who was basically treated like a baby girl, but then she became sexually active and became really aggressive because she's not supposed to live with humans. Yeah. And like she could get up and go and make herself a pot of tea. Whoa. And this is in the 60s when humans were like, let's see if we can make chimpanzees be like people. And she could, like, make herself tea. She could do all sorts of things. And then she turned, like, five or six and became five times stronger than the human male and was sexually aggressive. And it was a whole, like, everything went downhill because she couldn't live with people anymore. But she'd never lived in the wild, so she was terrified of everything. Right. And so then this woman set up a refuge for chimpanzees who couldn't live with people anymore because they became too aggressive, but who didn't know how to live without people. I remember reading about that and they Mm. had like a TV room and they had, well, this was a woman took them to a refuge in West Africa and they lived with her there and she eventually kind of rewilded them. She taught them how to eat food in the wild. Like she had to eat leaves and bugs to show them that they could eat leaves and bugs. Mm. Oh, that's so cool. They were all like circus chimpanzees. And then this one chimpanzee who was this like science experiment, basically, She said the first night she was sleeping in a cage and all the chimpanzees were so scared of the jungle noises. They slept on top of the cage to be near her, but they were like out in the wild. They could do whatever they wanted, but she was in the cage and they all would like defecate on her because they were so scared. 
It's a really heartbreaking story. All yeah. of these like human, like, well, let's make them people. Anyway, let's get to it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say, I think that some species are more amenable to being socialized in a human setting. Like I think Coco the gorilla and Alex the parrot, I don't think either of them suffered at all. Like I think they, right, right. they had great lives <laughs> as far as I could tell, you know, the chimp thing, it's different because the natural instincts got in the way and they weren't able to like live with humans. Like that happens with big cats too. Right. In the States. Oh mm-hmm. well, yeah. Like that's why I haven't watched Tiger King. Oh my God. Thank you. I like Tiger King makes me feel like I'm going to barf just thinking about it. <laughs> People used to get like little baby, I'm not sure if it was alligators or crocodiles, but they would like get them at fairs and stuff and then they would grow too big and they'd flush them down the toilets. No. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's what the alligators in the sewer myth came from. Mm-hmm. Oh. And like the Tiger King thing, I haven't watched it, but everyone told me they were like, yeah, they take the kittens away from the mother and let humans pet them. That's the whole attraction. Right. And then when the kittens are too big, they become too dangerous to let the public play with. A, they become a liability and it's they euthanize them often right Yay. yeah so like those fucking roadside zoos in tiger king i am not for them yeah <laughs> but Down. i i do kind of regret the fact i can't watch that show because i do love kooky people uh, yeah andrew watched it and it doesn't sound like they're kooky it sounds like they're like super fucked up <laughs> like it's not <laughs> Like, it doesn't sound like a sort of, like, whimsical, like, oh, this is so crazy. Andrew was just like, there's, like, a sort of, like, exploitative vibe about it, like, a little bit. But he was like, they're all so fucked up. They deserve whatever is coming to them. (laughs) Like, it's just not nice. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get super serious, because obviously we're very serious people and this is a very serious podcast... Do you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. <laughs> Do you guys have any week peaks? Anything good happened to you this week? Ish. We're in quarantine. Well, isolation. So it's kind of weird. My arugula sprouted. Yeah. Cool. Outside. Nice. Did yeah, it- I I seeded it because you can seed it before frost, but I wasn't sure if I was too early. And we had a light dusting of snow, and we had frost a couple of days, and I was outside a couple of days ago, and it sprouted. Nice. I'm so excited. Garlic's doing well. Beets didn't make it, but that's okay. I'm very excited about the arugula. Nice. Nice. My um, week peak is that I bought $300 worth of native perennials from a nursery. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Because... So another gardening week peak. Yeah, another gardening week peak. So I am not a gardener. I have a CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. I have a CSA membership with a farmer near here. So I get vegetables from her every year for like half the year. I'm not interested in growing um, plants that for food. I'm interested in growing native plants, but for like color and uh, pollination and all that stuff. So I lost my mind and I found this native plant nursery in Hamilton that delivers and I spent $350 plus I bought from the lady who I buy vegetables from. She also has like zinnias and purple echinacea or cornflower or whatever the fuck it is. And like sunflowers, which I know are not perennial, but you can reseed them. Like I had bought total, I think like 75 plants. That's amazing. And what then was... like four packages of seeds. That's awesome. You know what? I'm pretty excited about it. 
It's fucking awesome. One of the best things about having a home, especially like owning a home, because we all three of us have rented many apartments without like yards that we can use. Having a home, any yard, there's almost nothing that feels better than like planting perennials in your yard and like beautifying your property. It's so great. And growing food, like it's just the best. Growing food is the best. Okay. And then you're like, with your perennials, you're like, I'll see you next year. (laughs) Yes. And then when they pop up, it's so exciting. And sometimes you forget about ones you've planted. Like I put some peonies along the fence and it's like super weedy. So you don't really see them. But then you walk over there and you're like, what are these amazing pink flowers in the weeds? It's those peonies I planted like five years ago. (laughs) Melody, what's your week peak? Okay. So I acquired carefully with distance a vintage Mm -hmm. solid wood dining set that I got for free. It's like from the 40s, maybe. And I'm going to paint the whole thing. And I'm really excited about it. I got like a big hutch with glass doors and a long buffet and a big table and six wooden chairs. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I'm basically my week peak is storage, though. It's not so much the project of like painting this stuff. It's just like, I'm so excited to have all the storage, 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 because I am so boring now. (laughs) my boss gave me a christmas card this year that said like the front of it said i dream of storage space because i talk about it so much (laughs) okay it's true true. (laughs) guys i think we just need to loosen up a touch more (laughs) we're not quite not quite loose enough Um, let me do some wine shots (laughs) (laughs) let's do just a real quick icebreaker here and i'll reach into my own box it's my moon it's it's my moon time so it's a little messy (laughs) moon time oh my god we are physically distancing so (laughs) roll up your sleeves pull up your socks reach on into melody's box icebreakers uh, Nikki, if you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you choose to be? An octopus. Nice. Because you're a little octopusy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, if you could be any animal in the world, what animal would you choose to be? As someone who's lived a lot of my life, like anxious and, you know, kind of feeling a lot of fear. I think I'd want to be like a great white shark. Cool. Just like someone who just like sails through the ocean is just like, what's up, motherfucker? Literally no one messes with me except some dolphins. (laughs) Yeah. Just like hanging out. Yeah. That's what I would be. Cool. Thanks. I'm pretty happy with that. What about you, Melody? I don't know. What animal would you be, Melody? I mean, you know, it'd be pretty great to be a pony, I think. Actually, <laughs> like just a cute little pony that's like taken care of by kids who like take me on play with me all the time and like feed me carrots. That would be okay. There's ponies at this place that we go to up at the cottage in Halliburton, and they're pretty rad. Like, I mean, you can feed them flowers, they'll eat them right out of your hand, and they don't snap. We've never tried, I mean, you can't ride them or anything, they just like. They live there and wander around and stuff. But when they see you, they're like, hey, what's up? Oh, you have some clover? Cool. I'll eat it. That's better because I don't like the places where they let the kids ride them. No, me neither. 
I don't know. I feel like ponies have a pretty cushy life because they might have to like let little kids ride them occasionally for short periods of time because kids have no attention span and they're like babied. They don't have to like pull equipment on the farm. It's not 1890. I don't know. I guess, but I think they have to like, I don't know. I think we're still talking about pony life in terms of human life and not what ponies need though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there, there, I don't think there are like wild ponies anymore. So sure. Yeah, there, there are. are. There's lots of them. Little miniature horses. ponies. I know there's wild horses, but I'm talking about a cute little pony. Wild <laughs> horses could not drive me away <laughs> from <you>. wild ponies. <laughs> wild, wild horses. I want to be a domestic uh, pony. There not- are wild ponies in the UK and Wales. Okay. There are herds of free roaming ponies that live in wild conditions. But I'm telling so you, know you I, w- I want to be a hobby farm pony. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, how is your ice feeling? Is it broken? Is yeah, it smashed? Is it, is it like hammered? Would you call it hammered? <laughs> hammered. My ice is pretty wasted. (laughs) Icebreakers. Now, animals. (laughs) So let's do, what do you guys think about like water, land, air? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life started in water, so that makes total sense. (laughs) Okay. So here's what I'm going to talk about. Liz, tell us about yes. this dolphin. I'm talking about Peter the dolphin. Pietra. Where is Peter from? Uh, Florida. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's American? He's, he's an, an American. American dolphin? Okay. I was just like, I didn't, yeah, just like American, Australian, Canadian, like just, yeah. So he's a bottlenose dolphin. And I heard about this years ago and I was like, what the fuck? are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, And then I looked it up. So basically the 1950s and sixties and seventies in science were the wild west and animals often bore the brunt of a lot of this crazy shit that humans were doing in science. They were locking up chimpanzees and, you know, trying to get them to live like little girls and And um, made them watch soap operas, which is the thing that I heard about, which is super fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so the 50s and 60s, people were doing fucking terrible things to animals in the name of science. Like, oh, let's see if we can teach them English. Let's see if we can communicate with them. Let's see if we can have them live in our houses. Let's see if we can live in a house with them, a house f- flooded with water, and that maybe a human and a dolphin could live together. No, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so let's also not overlook the fact that the 60s, there were a lot of psychedelics running around. <laughs> well, that, that makes an entrance here. Okay, oh, interesting. Cool. My details, like I said, I did a shitty job with this one. So my details are from like literally one article, but whatever. It's from The Guardian. <laughs> They're a reputable <laughs> news source. They sure are. I so basically, it. there was this doctor, an American neuroscientist named Dr. Lilly. And he became interested in marine mammals after he found a right whale washed up on shore in Massachusetts, where he was from. And he and his wife sailed to the Caribbean and 
This is like a little bit fuzzy in the article. They don't exactly make the connection as to how this guy, Dr. Lilly, who's a legit scientist, got hooked up with this NASA funded project in St. Thomas in the Caribbean. But essentially, they had a house on the ocean in St. Thomas and they had tanks like places where these three dolphins lived and the tanks were connected to the ocean so they couldn't leave but the tanks were filled with ocean water and that's how they got filtered out and then there was this house that was connected to the tanks it was like a compound there was no water in the upstairs areas where the humans lived but he was working on this nasa funded project to kind of examine dolphins because they were clearly very smart. Dolphins have done tons of really intelligent things that humans have seen. And so NASA wanted to kind of figure out, like, can humans communicate with animals? Can they communicate with dolphins? Not can we learn how to speak dolphin, which might have been better, but can we teach them how to speak English? Of course. Right? It's not the other way around. It's like, what can we, like, push onto them? No, because it's still, like, colonizing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like a form of colonization. So... They were like trying to teach these dolphins, three ladies and a man. Peter. I have a man. question. Yep. Is this like in any way related to first contact with aliens? Like why would NASA be yes. interested? It Seti is it? basically okay. comes out of this. Okay. Sorry, what so comes out of this? Seti, which is a search, search for, for extraterrestrial for... intelligence. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm so, drunk. Did you hear that? <laughs> so <laughs> not terrestrial intelligence. <laughs> so study isn't like a direct result of this, but there is a connection. So basically, okay. the three dolphins were pa- Peter, Pamela, and Sissy. And Pamela and Sissy were the two females. They were like big and sort of pushy, and they were older. And Peter was younger, and he was kind of like becoming sexually, like reaching sexual maturity. So basically, they were just like okay, we're going to take these three dolphins and this guy, Dr. Lily, was involved and we're going to try and teach them English and see how smart they are. The dolphins would like try and mimic the sounds they were making and that sort of thing. But obviously, you know, they never taught them how to speak English, but they spent so much time with them that they created this bond, right? The dolphins were used to seeing them every day. And so one day, this lady named Margaret Howe Lovett was an American woman who was living on St. Thomas heard that there were some scientists who were studying dolphins on the other side of the island. And she literally just got in her car and drove over there. She has no qualifications and (laughs) said, Hey, I hear you're studying dolphins. I'm interested in animals and I like them and I'd like to participate and help out in any way I can. (laughs) And there was a guy standing outside. He was the director of the lab. His name was Gregory Bateson. And he (laughs) basically was like, Oh, I like the cut of your jib. Come on in. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) And so... We could uh, always use an extra pair of unqualified hands. Right? (laughs) So then, so she starts spending tons of time with the dolphins, sits in the tanks with them. She um, (laughs) talks to them all day. She's trying to teach them how to speak English. And the dolphins become attached to her. And this guy, Dr. Lily, who's one of the researchers... He's starting to like, like he's trying to map the brains of dolphins and he's trying to use probes and stuff, mm-hmm. which it sounds awful, but you can't sedate a dolphin because breathing is voluntary for them. They have to think about every breath. So no if you way. sedate a dolphin, they'll stop breathing and die. Oh, um, so interesting. So you can't I wonder how on- many species that's the case for. 
I, don't I wonder know. if it's like mammals in water. Like Maybe. I wonder if whales are like that too. Well, I mean, whales have to hold their breath to go under. Could be. Yeah. And then you'd have to be like, oh, I'm running out of oxygen. Better pop up. Yeah. Oh, so he was, you know, trying to map their brains. Couldn't put them under anesthetic or else they would die. That sort of thing. And he started to see these connections between the noises they made and the noises the humans were making. So he's like, oh, they're trying to like mimic us they're trying to learn english let's try and teach Mm. them english and so that's when he was like you should try to start teaching them english and this woman margaret was helping them out and so it's all insane (laughs) it's all (laughs) insanity and then this guy dr lily becomes really interested in lsd and starts doing a ton of lsd he even injects lsd in the dolphins dolphins. because why wouldn't you at that point (laughs) nothing happens to them i mean who knows what's going on in their minds but it appeared to have no effect on them. And so hmm. hopefully they were fine and they didn't get hurt. Oh, by like it. they didn't have the receptors for it or something? Potentially. So they could, mm. From the outside, nothing happened. But meanwhile, they could be having all kinds of flashbacks and we have no idea. So this guy, Dr. Lilly, he's like starts to be around less and less because he's doing a ton of drugs. <laughs> um, and that's kind of later on. But basically this woman, Margaret Howe, Love it. Who just showed up one day and said, I'd like to help out. She said, listen, we don't know what the dolphins are doing when we go home every night. You know, I'm making a lot of progress with them. You know, we're communicating sort of, I would really like to like live with one of the dolphins Mm -hmm. and like really kind of work on human dolphin connection and communication. And I think that we should waterproof all the upper floors of the house (laughs) and that one of the dolphins should come and live with me up there all the time. <laughs> this is a real thing that happened. Okay. And so she's doing they, LSD too, right? Or no? No. She's just like a kooky dolphin lady, like third eye. Okay. Eventually, she went on later in her life to get married and have children and live in the dolphin house in St. Thomas. Wow. Yeah. So kids grew up in the dolphin house? She had three kids. With the dolphins? Wait, no, were they the were man. the kids half dolphin? so but so she they chose peter the young the young man dolphin to live in the house with her upstairs after she's like waterproofed it and put you know 20 inches of water in there or something and it sounds kind of insane but like she like slept on a floaty weird pallet thing and she had she lived she slept in is- on a barge. <laughs> she lived with him in isolation for six days a week, sleeping on a makeshift bed on the elevator platform in the middle of the room, doing her paperwork on a desk suspended from the ceiling and hanging over the water. Oh wow. Yeah. And so like he was really obsessed with her. He would sit and stare at her and like he loved her. Maybe he didn't love her, but he was just like intrigued by her. But this is the craziest part that everyone talks about and she brushes it off as no big deal did they bone he (laughs) depends on how you think of boning he was reaching sex mentally did they bone mentally (laughs) no no physically she she manually (laughs) stimulated the dolphin what yep she jerked the dolphin off (laughs) um and so she says, I mean, a man's got needs, but like, come on. That's <laughs> he said like, it was not sexual on her part, but it allowed her to get to know Peter better. 
interesting. Um, I don't totally understand how manipulating a phallus is not sexual. I don't. That doesn't make sense. Five. Peter started to exhibit signs of sexual attraction towards her. Really? Or was he just going through a thing? Because that's what the age he was at. (laughs) Right. Two or three weeks ago, Gertie wanted to get on the couch and I was in her way. And she basically put her entire body on top of me and humped me. <laughs> and, it was, and it was so that I would leave the couch. So Gertie, Gertie is Liz's 10-year-old daughter, by the way. <laughs> no, it's my dog. It's my dog. And so to have a 100-pound dog climb on top of you and try to fuck you is pretty terrifying. <laughs> And okay, so I'll move, I, I'll move, I'll move, I'll move, I'll move. It's your I, couch. It's fine. I've I'll never move. moved as fast as possible. And then I moved and she just like settled in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he was like, he had an erect penis because he was becoming sexually mature and she jerked him off. And it's a thing. But, oh man. And it really there, There's like, I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I remember hearing rumors about some story of a dolphin that, like, fell in love with a woman, and then it, like, committed suicide. Is that this dolphin? That's exactly what happened. (gasps) Yeah, so basically, he lived this life with her, he spent time with his other two friend dolphins, and then after, so I got it kind of mixed up, Dr. Lily was into it while this whole weird dolphin uh, lady domesticity thing was happening. But then later, he was starting to lose interest in the dolphins. He was doing way more LSD. He was doing other stuff. He, like, lost interest in it. And the funding kind of went away. And so Peter went to go live in Miami in a different place in not very great conditions. And because their breathing is voluntary, he just, like, sunk to the bottom of his tank and stopped breathing. Oh, God. And he did commit suicide. (gasps) That's so sad. And on his wiki- on the Wikipedia page about Margaret Howe Lovett, it says Peter quickly deteriorated and later committed suicide. Oh, oh man. Oh man. Yeah. It's pretty awful. This is a crazy the connection to NASA is insane because like yeah. Carl Sagan, you know who Carl Sagan is? Yeah. Carl Sagan was is like he's the one who like founded SETI or something. He visited this area and he said We thought that it was important to have the dolphins teach us dolphinese if there is such a thing. For example, we suggested two dolphins in each tank not be able to see each other and he could teach one dolphin a procedure to obtain food and then see if he could tell how the other dolphin was communicating. That was really the prime experiment to be done, but Lily never seemed able to do it. So they weren't really interested in learning about the dolphins. They were learning, they were more interested in learning about like humans and this like obsession with trying to teach them English. Right. Interesting. That's so crazy. And then like the reason why NASA was interested was because they're just interested in making connections with other beings, basically. Yeah. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's about it. It's a really sad story. And it's mostly like you can read more in the Guardian article. There's like way, 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 way more <laughs> detail. But basically, it's just this like sad story. And like Margaret how love it the lady who spent time with peter she like cared about him a lot and yeah of course it was sad about what happened to him of course Mm. that's terrible Mm -hmm. it's a sad story and it's a weird story like it's super weird dolphins with lsd it's like mk ultra dolphin edition yep (laughs) cool (laughs) let's put these dolphins in jail and see how they react to lsd yep (laughs) bananas it was a weird time 
It's a strange story. And she 100% jerked off that dolphin. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And if she did it once, she did it more than once. Oh, yeah. She did it lots of times. Yeah. Okay. It was just the uh, one time. Man. No, no. Lots of times. She, like, she fucked that dolphin psychologically is what she did. Jerking him <laughs> off and then, like, being like, you don't mean anything to me. Ugh. That's wild. Wild. Hey, Nikki. Hey, Melody. Do you want to tell us a little bit about octopuses? I can tell you so much about octopuses. It's like kind of bananas. I'm going to have to probably rein it in a little bit. But octopuses also commit suicide when they're in captivity, which I did not know before I read this. If you put them in a tank that has like not a stimulating environment, they like self cannibalize. And they just, they're just like done. And as soon as you give them like a place to hide and some kelp and, you know, like maybe a toy to play with, they're like totally cool. It's really interesting. I started reading this book, like unrelated to this podcast, like six months ago. And it took me a long time to get into it because it was a little more sciencey than I was able to process at the time. And so it got returned and now I still have it on hold. But it's called Other Minds, the Octopus, the Sea and the Deep Origins of Consciousness. And it's written by Peter Godfrey Smith, who's a philosopher of science and like an avid scuba diver. He's from Australia. And the premise of the book is basically that that octopuses evolved as like a separate experiment in intelligence because they're like one of the only invertebrates that shows intelligence that's almost on the level of humans. Right. So... We think of intelligence in primates and birds and dolphins, but like dolphins and whales were land creatures that went back to the sea and octopuses have always been in the sea. Same thing with cuttlefish and to a lesser extent squid. Mm -hmm. And so this book is basically like tracing the origins of consciousness and looking at how octopus and cuttlefish are kind of Like, if we can figure out how to talk to them, it would kind of be, like, our first contact moment with an alien species. Whoa! Yeah. (laughs) So, he has these, like, amazing descriptions of meeting cuttlefish and octopus in the water and how they're very curious and they kind of get to know him. And he describes cuttlefish as their skin almost looking like a television screen. Because they they change color and texture and opacity so much. And it's largely involuntary. It's it's like, it's bananas. So there are approximately 300 different species of octopus. And we keep discovering new ones because they live in every ocean, coastal waters, and deep waters off of every continent. So like they live literally everywhere. As far as we know, there's like no risk of extinction for any of them. Oh, that's Which good. is kind of cool. They range from one inch to 16 feet long and one gram to 600 pounds in weight, wow. which is crazy. They have eight arms. Their tentacles are called arms. They have three hearts, one which is systemic for pumping blood through the body and two that are bronchial, so one for each gill. And their blood is blue-green because the main component is copper instead of iron. So what? when you, Yeah, I know. 
they bleed blue. Oh my God. And then they have these specialized skin cells for camouflage. So one is responsible for color. One is responsible for white tones and one is reflective. So they can change like how opaque they are, how reflective they are, the colors that they are. The ink, when they release ink, it's mostly melanin, which makes total sense when you think about it, but I didn't put that together. Um, and it scrambles predators' sense of smell as well. So it's not just like a, a visibility thing. And this is something that I didn't know. If an octopus gets caught in its own cloud, it's actually dead, deadly to an octopus as well. So oh. like it'll cloud their senses. Like they won't be able to breathe. They'll get disoriented. They won't know where they are because it has a toxin in it. Huh. Interesting. If an octopus loses an arm, it regrows. Every single species? As far as I know. They don't. So like starfish, when they lose an arm, their arm regrows and that arm creates a new starfish. But with octopuses, when they lose an arm, their arm regrows. So octopuses only live like the maximum they live is five years, which is a super short time when you consider that they can get up to like 16 feet and 600 pounds. Like that's like a rapid growth spurt. Mm-hmm. And it's because they, uh, after they reproduce, they die. So males are, depending on the species, the males are cannibalized or they die because they've lost the part that fertilizes the female. Um, and then females will carry around their eggs until they're ready to lay them. And then when they lay them, they'll make a den, which could be, you know, like in the sand or in rocks, depending on the species, they'll like build them out of coconut shells, which is usage of tools. Um, And then they basically sit there for up to eight weeks and wait for their eggs to hatch. And they don't eat, they don't hunt, like, and they just wither away. They die so that their babies can live. It's really strange that they're like so intelligent but they basically only live to reproduce. Like it's a really weird, yeah. it's kind of a conundrum. Yeah. Huh. Um, do the, do the babies, so like, do the babies eat the dead mom then? No, the babies just kind of like float away <laughs> from what I understand. Weird. And the mom's not necessarily dead when they're born. Like she might still be alive, but she's not capable of, of doing anything. The babies are just kind of on their own. And so like in the case of the giant Pacific octopus, which is the largest one that we know about, is it the big orange one? Yeah. That lives like off the coast of California and BC. Yeah. So first of all, the males are like tiny, like tiny, tiny, tiny. It's the females that are ginormous and they'll lay between 50 and 90,000 eggs and two octopus on average survive. Wow. So, they go through all of that, like, just to replace themselves. It's, wow. like, it's phenomenal. Like, can you imagine what octopus would be capable of if they lived for 40 years? <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Huh. A 600-pound, this is a crazy stat, a 600-pound octopus can squeeze through a hole the size of a quarter. What? Because they, the only part of the, an octopus that's not malleable is their beak. So basically the size of their beak is the limiting factor and everything else they can just squish themselves through. <laughs> Crazy. So I've heard about that, that they're like, they can like squeeze through anything. Yeah. And there, if you ever want to kill like an hour on the internet, you can find a lot of crazy videos of octopuses squishing themselves through things. <laughs> <laughs> that and people blowing condoms up over their heads. 
Right. A lot of that, <laughs> of too. <laughs> That's actually, like, one of the biggest differences between an octopus, a squid, and a cuttlefish is a squid has, like, um, a backbone-like structure called a pen, which is, like, an internalized shell. And then a cuttlefish has something called a cuddle bone, which is porous and helps them stay afloat. And octopuses don't have any remnants left from the shell. Fun fact, the cuddle bone is what they give parrots and other birds to chomp on. Yes, they're those white things that you buy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to like keep on the sort of like philosophical tip for a little while here. So just going on this like if we can make contact with octopuses, it would be the close we would come to meeting an intelligent alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have their eyes actually function the same way as human eyes, but their pupils are vertical. So they look super weird. Um, they're like lines. Like, you know how cats are kind of like ovals? Octopuses are just like lines, like rectangles. But their brains are totally different. And you can actually, like it's been argued that octopuses technically have nine brains so they have like one brain that's in their head and then each arm can be said to have a brain as well they have twice as many nerve cells in their limbs than in their brain and their limbs can almost literally think for themselves so they can move they can camouflage they can taste they can touch they can do all this stuff and feed information into the main brain but they also react to that information themselves so like an octopus is self and other. <laughs> I don't know if that's getting like too deep, but <laughs> wow. it's like an octopus is like eight or nine. Yeah. If it's nine brains, it could be like nine minds, which wow. is not what they're saying. But like, if you can be self and other, that's like, that's so crazy. I'm looking at pictures of octopus pupils right now and it's wild. <laughs> it's weird, eh? Yeah, yeah. So then if you look up, so squid have round pupils and then cuttlefish, it's kind of like a wavy W. Oh, yeah. That is cool. so weird. Yeah. So Peter Godfrey Smith, this like philosopher of science, scuba diver guy who's like, he's his book, which I, again, have not finished. I just started, but it's but tracing the origins of consciousness. So he's kind of argued that there's the potential that octopuses might have consciousness which i think for simplicity's sake is just having a sense of self like understanding Mm -hmm. that they're an individual and that they have an experience in the world so his rationale for that is that in lab settings they navigate mazes no problem they open jars if they are faced with a challenge uh, that they can't overcome they'll kind of remove themselves from the situation analyze it and then retry with a different approach. And they'll do that like a number of times until they solve the problem. And they've also done things like they'll spray jets of water at researchers that they don't like. <laughs> and they <laughs> and they'll they'll be like cool with people that they do like. When they're like angry or alarmed, they change colors that reflect that, which is usually red when they're angry. Like a mood so ring. Have, like, <laughs> Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yes. In the lab at the University of, I don't know, I think it's Otago in New Zealand, an octopus learned how to turn off lights by shooting a stream of water at the bulb so that they would short out. (laughs) And this is really significant because bright lights bother octopuses. So this octopus was like, oh, 
I don't like the environment that I'm in. Let's see if I can change this. Like that's like super high level thinking. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like had a bunch of trial and error and was like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Let me put the lights out. Amazing. Um, the other cool thing that they do in the lab is that different octopuses will react differently to the same stimuli. So if they are shown something that's like kind of threatening, some will flee to a corner, some will try and fight it, and some will be really curious and try to see what it is. So it's like proto personality, like they don't, they don't have enough information to say that it is personality, but they have kind of like hallmarks of personality. They've also found that octopuses play. They're pretty sophisticated little little and large creatures. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy because like, I'm amazed by this, but also I'm not because I just think like, well, of course it has its own life, you know? Yeah. And like the way I was thinking about it is like, okay, so they think that like 200 and it's either 250 or 275 million years ago, octopuses evolved to not have shells anymore. Their intelligence would have been growing to a point where they could evolve to not have a shell and then their intelligence would have grown even further after losing their shell because all of a sudden they're really vulnerable. So they would have to figure out smarter ways to deal with predators and they hunt in a wide variety of environments just like humans. So they sort of faced similar challenges that humans did, but in the water. It's weird. It like it, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around it to be perfectly honest. <laughs> No, it's amazing. (laughs) They're crazy. So here's some crazy things that they do in the wild. Okay. So off the coast of Indonesia, there's like lots of documented footage of veined octopuses collecting discarded coconut shells and they clean the mud out of them. And then they kind of make a weird stack and they take them into the water. They can come out of the water for a little bit, which is also (laughs) bananas and then they go back into the water and they build themselves a little cave so that they can sleep and predators can't find them oh my god wow there's also a common atlantic octopus which is off the coast i should have written this down but i think it was off the coast of nova scotia but a common atlantic octopus caught a bunch of crabs and then went to its rock den to eat them tossed out the crab shells came out collected four rocks to block up the entrance to its den and then took a nap (laughs) (laughs) so they're just like like they know how to use their environment to protect themselves because they don't have any natural protections right now that's That's fascinating that's smart like that's intelligence that's like manipulating your environment that's having foresight all things that we think invertebrates don't have oh man and they're so crazy with all those suction cups i know (laughs) (laughs) so sucky (laughs) All right, you ready for some octopus hijinks? Yes, hijinks. Give it to me. Okay, I have some good stories. Okay, so this is from New Zealand. There was an octopus named Inky who was taken in for rehabilitation. A fisherman had caught him when he was catching crayfish and he was kind of rough. And so he brought him to the aquarium to so that he, because if he hadn't, he would have died. And so the people, the staff at the aquarium said that Inky was getting used to life in captivity, but they described him as very curious and mischievous and he needed to be entertained kind of constantly or he would get bored. And when octopuses get bored is when they start to do things like self cannibalize and like all of that kind of sad stuff we talked about earlier, right? which they didn't want to happen. So then two years after Inky had arrived at the aquarium, the staff got there and Inky was nowhere to be found. 
There were, however, suction cup tracks on the side of his tank toward an open drain pipe cover that went a pipe that went 50 meters down into the Pacific Ocean. So the night before, they think a maintenance worker had left a tiny gap in the top of the enclosure and he climbed up the side, made his way down, smelled the ocean, was just like, I'm out of here. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. See you guys later. <laughs> like, thanks for healing me up. <laughs> I have to go mate and die now. <laughs> Does every single breed mate and then die every single type of octopus i haven't like i mean i haven't researched all 300 but all of the ones that i've come across they basically breed and then die that's Mm. just they're just like which is why i was saying like could you imagine if they lived for 40 years what they would be capable of if they're doing this in four or five years it's crazy yeah no kidding wild so this is a funny story from the new england aquarium in boston which is amazing i've actually been there So in the 1980s, staff noticed that several rare fish were going missing from a tank that was just being used for biological studies. So it wasn't like a huge exhibit. And they couldn't figure out what was happening because no one was stealing the fish. They weren't worth anything. And the alarm system system wasn't registering anything fishy. (laughs) 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 Sorry, that was my dad joke. Um, and then one morning, a researcher went in early, just by chance, and found an octopus from a neighboring tank perched on the edge, snatching up fish. So every <laughs> night, after staff left, the octopus had been scaling its own tank, slithering across the floor, scaling the other tank, and then grabbing a bite, and then heading back across the aisle. <laughs> That's and amazing. So I, was, I was curious. It was like, how, like, because they have gills, right? Like, they breathe through water. But it turns out that they can also metabolize oxygen through their skin. So they can be out of water for up to 20 minutes. And if they're in a tide pool or like by a seashore where they're spray, they can actually be out for longer. And then I have one last story. So at the Santa Monica Pier Aquarium in 2009, staff walked into work one morning and there was water like a foot deep lapping around a bunch of exhibits. And the two-spotted octopus, which was the main attraction in the kids' area, which is about the size of a human forearm, just kind of like sat around and watched as the workers tried to clean up. They estimated 200 gallons of water before the first busload of school children arrived, which was at 9.30 a.m. So they had like an hour to do this, (laughs) which (laughs) is weird because this aquarium is built over a beach but had no floor drains. So I feel like they kind of had it coming. But it turned out they had, it coming. he had it coming. He only had himself to blame. When they reviewed video footage, this tiny little two-spotted octopus had swum up to the top of her tank, disassembled the recycling system valve, and flooded the aquarium with seawater. <laughs> Why did she do that? <laughs> they think that it, octopuses are just really curious, and they're just like they just want to see what happens when they do things. They're just like, what will this do? Like, what will that do? What happens if I do this? They're interested in their environment. They're interested in like how they can affect their environment. And they just, they know how to manipulate things, right? Like they can open jars, they can unscrew pipes, they can pull off drain covers. So I think they just, they're like little scientists. They're just doing experiments all the time. They're so cool. They're so rad. I'm like, I, yeah. If you want a real treat, look up the Dumbo octopus. 
Okay. Oh, I, I just did. I was like, while I'm listening to, I was just looking at pictures of octopus. And uh, there's that octopus opening a jar. That's one. Yeah. And then the Dumbo octopus. Uh, the Dumbo pretty- octopus is so cute. Yeah, it's pretty cute. <laughs> oh, so it's got like big ears like Dumbo. And a yeah, big nose. So they're one of the few species of octopuses that have fins and they live at a great depth in the ocean. So they don't have ink because it's so dark down there that like, what's the point? Um, But they have these little fins that work like propellers and then their legs are like an umbrella and they use their legs to steer instead of swim. Oh my God. They're so cute. They're so cute. And if you want to watch cool videos about octopuses, octolab.tv is like a really great... Um, they have lots of really great videos. <laughs> Octolab.tv. I am going to check that out for sure. Me too. Yeah, Octolab.tv. That was awesome. It was fantastic. I, I really, I think Thanks. I want to get an octopus tattooed on my body. Right? Now. Yes. That's my little octopusy. And then you can just say that's my little octopusy. And you can be a James Bond villain. We should just go and get matching octopus tattoos. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> you guys. Come with us. You can get one too, Liz. Come with us. But first of all, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Just the Tip Hand Poke Tattoos. And if you've been listening for a while, you'll know that JTT Tattoos is one of our super besties and one of the show's co-creators, Sarah Wright. Sarah does detailed and whimsical custom hand poke tattoos, specializing in botanicals and super weird shit, which we know you love. And it's done in the comfort of a cozy wood fire warmed private studio in beautiful Perth, Ontario, Canada. Just the tip welcomes all bodies, meaning everybody is welcome. Unless you're a dick, in which case you're not welcome. <laughs> Check out their work at Just the Tip Handpoke Tattoos on Instagram or at Just the Tip Handpoke Tattoos.com. That's J U S T T H E T. Nope, I'm not going to spell that. And you can book online. Just, just the, the Tip, tip Handpoke Tattoos.com. And now for our sponsored segment with Sarah Wright it's Just the Tips. Okay, now it's time for a little sexy coronavirus talk. The question has been asked, can you have sex during the coronavirus? I fucking hope so. This, of course, is going to depend on who you're, you know, self-isolating with. Only bone people you're in isolation with. Hopefully you've got a, a sweet honey at your side. Maybe you've got a good friend but fuck man if there was ever a time to explore your sexuality your sexual preferences new positions or ways even self-pleasure ways to pleasure yourself maybe you're all alone you can have sex with yourself fuck venus envy and all those gorgeous sex stores are still selling shit online like now's the time to invest some of that sweet sweet coronavirus government cash into a beautiful vibrator or whatever you're into 
and get amongst it, you know? Like, the time is now. Shit is crazy. The future is uncertain. Maybe that makes some of you feel not sexy, but I figure, like, this is the time. Make love with your partner or your friend or yourself. Eat amazing food. Take time to prepare the dishes that you never had time to before. Sit down and draw and and listen to music and just, man, life is so sexy. Coronavirus can't get me down. Shit. Go out there. Well, stay inside. Don't go out anywhere. Stay at your place and start exploring your fantasies, man. Maybe write some erotic fiction. Hey, write some erotic fiction. Send it in to Teach Me Tiger. We're all looking for a little extra something to read these days. Now's the time. Bye, guys. Wear a condom. If you have any questions for Sarah, send them in to teachmetigerpodcast at gmail.com and listen for them on an upcoming show. Thanks, Sarah. Just, just, the, just the tip, tip and poke tattoos.com. I just had like a major Tom Hanks pee. <laughs> like Tom Hanks <laughs> League of Their Own pee. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that I ate asparagus for dinner and I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> I'm dying. You're not dying. Well, we're all dying, oh. actually. <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, guys, can I tell you about Coco the gorilla? Yes. Yes. Okay. So her name, her full name is Hanabiko, which means fireworks child in Japanese. It's a reference to her date of birth, which is the 4th of July because fireworks get it american <laughs> yes she was born at the san francisco zoo in 1971 and she died in 2018 holy fuck yeah so she was oh, around for life she was around for a while kind of a big deal coco was a female western lowland gorilla and let's see okay so from the age of one she was taught american sign language however she spoke an adapted version, which is called GSL. Can you guess what that stands for? Gorilla Sign Language. Ooh, ooh. Yes. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Nikki. <laughs> I didn't have my proverbial hand up. It's my bad. <laughs> so gorillas have hands that are really big with tiny little thumbs. And so they have to do like an adapted version of sign language because they don't have thumbs yeah. like us. But they, they do, so they do have opposable thumbs. They're just smaller. Yes. Tiny little thumbs. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So Coco had more than 1000 signs, putting her vocabulary at the same level as a three-year-old human child. And she was also exposed to spoken English from a very young age and understood approximately 2000 spoken words. Wow. The extent of her understanding of the language was disputed by people a lot as like there was a lot of sort of language studies with animals in the what 60s, 70s. And you there's know, always going to be haters, though. Let's be real. Haters <laughs> going to hate for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so she didn't really use syntax or grammar, but she did understand nouns, verbs, and adjectives, and understood some more abstract concepts like good or fake. You know what I mean? She used the word right. fake a lot to mean like fake. <laughs> like it's not real. <laughs> yes. You know, fake. <laughs> yeah. 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 They- <laughs> In various IQ tests, she scored between 70 and 90. So, like, pretty good. The tests are designed for yeah. humans, obviously. That's like Forrest Gump level. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, you guys, if you're wondering, <laughs> um, my IQ, I did a free online test, which was obviously very legit. It had embedded YouTube yeah. videos, and I scored a hundred, 151. <laughs> what? So I'm wow. low. I know I'm like low grade genius. <laughs> also, I told that to Chris and he was like, you know, I just find that hard to believe. <laughs> nice. Calling it like he sees it. (laughs) (laughs) But I did a test online, so it's real. Yeah, Um, everything online is real. That's what this whole podcast is based on. (laughs) Exactly. At age 19, Coco was able to pass the mirror test of self-recognition, which most gorillas do not. So um, in the test, they basically put a mark on a place on her body that she can't see normally and show her in the mirror and then if she like investigates that spot on her body it shows that she understands the image in the mirror is her yeah Yeah. they do that test on kids too yeah it's like to determine like when kids figure out that they have a self yes so she passed that test cool because she's a badass bitch She was reported to have used meta language, which is to say she was using language to speak like reflexively about language. So she would sign good sign to another gorilla who had like signed something well or successfully. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. And she was also known to have used language deceptively or like humorously. So I heard a story about her saying to her handler, Coco bird, to which the handler said, no, Coco gorilla. And then she kept saying, Coco bird. And the handler said, then what am I? To which she signed, you bird. And then Coco signed, Coco fake bird clown. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was so pretty, pretty charming. She's like making a joke. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's making a sentence. She made a sentence, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there was another story about how she signed to say that her kitten had broken a sink when clearly it was her, but she was like blaming it on the kitten, which is kind of fun. <laughs> oh, I heard, I heard that she had a kitten. Yes. Yes. I'm going to get to that in one second. One more thing about how smart she was is she would make compound words. So she didn't know the words. She would like put words that she knew together. So for instance, the first time she saw a ring, she signed finger bracelet and for mask, Ooh. she signed I hat. <laughs> oh. And when she first saw a, cool. when she first saw a lighter, she signed bottle match. Ah. Cool. Oh, a lighter, like a cigarette lighter. Mm-hmm. She signed bottle match. Oh. Cool. Coco stayed with her mom until she was one, and then she was taken to the zoo hospital to be treated for some sort of life-threatening illness. And it's there where she met the trainer, Penny, Francine Patterson. And she helped to care for at the zoo as part of her doctoral research at Stanford. And then they like loaned Coco to her to research for four years. And then she ended up just keeping her forever after that. (laughs) So it was still that kind of weird fucked up thing where it was like, we're just not going to give you back to your mom. And that mom's just going to be like, where's my baby? It's gone forever. That's true. Yeah, that's that's true. Yes, they took her away forever. Uh, so Penny Patterson formed the Gorilla Foundation, and they got a lot of funding to like research gorillas through this whole foundation situation and built like really big habitats that were like part inside, part outside, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, they did take her away from her mom. That's super sad. But she she had a pretty like baller life. I watched a documentary. I saw a lot of video. It seemed like pretty cool there. 
Like she seemed happy. Like mm-hmm. she seemed like she was having a good time. Mm-hmm. So she lived there with another gorilla, a male named Michael. And before he arrived, Penny had told her the news that they were going to be getting a baby gorilla. And she was super excited. But when Michael arrived, he was actually three. So he was like a toddler. And Coco was super disappointed and kept signing wrong and old and like, take <laughs> send it away. <laughs> this isn't a baby. This is a toddler. Yeah. I fucking feel you, Coco. Jesus Christ. <laughs> they actually Don't ended- start with a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> they actually ended up being super, super close, like best buds kind of thing. That's good. And they'd sort of hoped he'd become an eventual mating partner for her. But they later realized that Cocos who are raised together do not mate. So they have like a brother-sister bond. Cocos. You, know. you said Cocos who are raised together. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh. You said Cocos who are raised together play together. <laughs> Gorillas who are raised together <laughs> do not mate. Yeah, it's taboo like it is with people. So they don't, you don't like fuck your brother or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. That's definitely a sign of intelligence mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. like a social taboo like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I'm going to tell you more about Michael in a few minutes because Michael is also quite remarkable. In 1978, a photo that Coco took of herself in the mirror was put on the cover of National Geographic and she started to get a lot of attention. And then she was featured again on the cover in 1985 with her kitten. And now I'm going to talk about her kitten. So in 1983, she asked for a kitten for Christmas and they gave her a stuffy of a cat and she was Mm -hmm. super pissed off. She wouldn't play with it and kept signing the word sad. So for her birthday in July of 84, they let her choose a kitten from a litter and she chose a gray Manx and named him All Ball because he was like a ball of fur. And she cared for it like a baby gorilla and tried to nurse it and was really like loving and gentle. But then in December, the kitten escaped and got hit by a car. (gasps) And um, so Penny immediately notified Coco of the death and stayed with her until she went to bed. But then after she left, I sent you guys an audio file of Coco crying because she she videotaped because Coco was crying. She'd never heard her cry before, but she's making these like gorilla wailing sounds. It's so sad. She lost her kitten. Yes. Oh my God. Um, and then people started sending kittens to Coco, like boxes of kittens just started arriving to this like gorilla sanctuary place. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 1985, they let her pick out two more kittens, which she named Lipstick and Smokey, based Ooh. on their colors. Lipstick was orange and Smokey was gray. And she was also very vocal about wanting babies. So they did get her another boy to mate with, hopefully, was the idea. But they did this whole like video dating service thing where they showed her videos of available (laughs) gorillas. And if she liked them, she would kiss the screen and sign visit. But if she didn't like them, she would sign like away, no like, no visit. (laughs) 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 And so she picked this one guy named Indume. She like loved him. But then they just like played and were buds for years and they never made it. And they figured out subsequently that gorillas in the wild, it'll be a male with like eight females. And so it was too much pressure. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that it's hard to get primates to mate in captivity, right? Is that right? Seems to be. Seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing about Coco is that she loved nipples. 
And Wait, <laughs> human nipples or yes. like bottle nipples? <laughs> no, human nipples. And so several people have said over the years that she requested to see their nipples. And in 2005, <laughs> three staff members of the Gorilla Foundation filed lawsuits against the organization saying that they were pressured to reveal their nipples. <laughs> i was sexually harassed by a gorilla (laughs) well if the if the other people were like just do it yeah that's true then you're sexually harassed by the humans (laughs) so they settled out of court uh got some money um michael and indume were also taught to sign michael was very interesting he was apparently kind of like quiet like a man of few words but a little more serious and he was a very prolific and focused painter coco would paint for fun but he was like very serious about it and did these like kind of beautiful abstract works (laughs) and both of the boys were also taught gsl gorilla sign language but not as intensely as coco but that being said michael famously described what researchers think was the story of his mother being killed by poachers so he signed squash meat gorilla mouth tooth cry sharp noise loud bad think trouble look face cut neck lip girl hole oh my god and he was like rescued from poachers so that's crazy and very sad obviously and like you know that combined with how coco cried over the kitten it's like man they these are beings who experience deep grief and he was like one or something he was just a little baby when it happened and he remembered all these details so absolutely absolutely they (sighs) have obviously have like a rich emotional life (laughs) Yeah. yeah coco met a lot of celebrities Her location was a fiercely guarded secret because she was, like, literally very, very famous. (laughs) But celebrities were brought in mostly to, like, secure attention and funding for the Gorilla Foundation, which is this thing that Penny, whatever her name is, had set up. So she met Mr. Rogers, William Shatner. She did, like, a TV show with Lily Tomlin where they talked about famous women or something (laughs) i love lily tomlin (laughs) flea robin williams sting and she and robin williams like really particularly hit it off and it was no way yes so when she met robin williams it was a little over six months after michael had died and she had been like very deeply depressed after michael died because he was her like childhood friend right and she laughed and smiled with robin williams for the first time since her friend had died um, and that was in 2001. And they also thought that she recognized him because she, she had like at least one video that he was in. And so they think she kind of like knew him from the video a bit. Anyway, when she heard the news of his death, like 13 years later in 2014, the researchers reported that she became somber and her lip quivered and she signed bad and cry. Aww. I know. So that's what I have on Coco. She's very cool. We watched a documentary about her. Um, can't think of what it's called. And then I read a bunch of articles on the interwebs. But she's pretty cool. Wow. Any questions? Yeah. <laughs> I just like all this stuff. I mean, even with octopuses, like, I just feel like we shouldn't have these animals in captivity. We should be trying to meet them where they are. Yeah, touche. You oh, know, like, 
it just seems like unconscionable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like really. Yeah, I totally agree. I just cried through that, that whole thing. Oh, Aww. Liz, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sidebar. How much are the aliens in The Simpsons like a fucking octopus? Oh, and the aliens oh. in that movie. What was that movie that was like time? Arrival? Yes. Oh, Arrival, they were 100% octopus. Yeah. And then they shoot ink and it turns into language? Yeah. And I mean, a lo- the aliens in Independence Day look like squid. Yep. Um, Liz, I'm sorry I made you cry with the gorilla. No, that's okay. I can't uh, handle things like that. I mean, it does sound like she had a pretty good life and she had other gorillas to hang out with. I just get up, you know, it's just so like, it's just so moving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly what Nikki said. We definitely are being wildly like arrogant and presumptive to think that we could offer these animals something by excluding their lives, which not all animal people are trying to do, but like, like the stupid dolphin people that I talked about, mm-hmm. you know, like dolphins need to be met on their own ground and like, ugh, God, I don't yeah, know it's like the height of like arrogance and hubris to be like, I can take this animal out of its natural habitat and make it still be happy. It's like, well, if someone did that to you, you would call it kidnapping. Yeah, so... I can take it out and it'll still be happy and I know how to care for it and I'm just going to take it and uh, and study it. And it's just, yeah, it's arrogant. And then when you learn about the internal lives of these animals, which no shit, they exist. Yeah. It's really moving. And it's weird because like on another, like on the other hand, if humans didn't do those things, we wouldn't know. So, because mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. not capable of extending that, like, empathy or that, the well, capabilities. Em- like, right, But it's something to- more than empathy. Like, we can't, we have a hard time thinking that anything could be as smart as we are. Like, we yeah. wouldn't give any other animals credit. Like, we yeah. can't extend them the credit. We can't extend the empathy. We're just like, oh, well, you don't live like we do. Like, you live in the water and you're covered in slime. Or, like, you're covered in hair and you can't speak English or whatever, you know. Like, we don't have the capability (laughs) to extend that to other creatures yeah (laughs) literally (laughs) it's almost like we need to do that in order to arrive at a place where we can be like oh wait a second and i feel like as long as there's a learning curve happening where we are coming to a place where it's like okay maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore and like maybe we should instead of like trying to figure out how to teach these animals to speak our language maybe we should figure out how to preserve their habitats and you know like i feel like there could be so many positives coming out of it and i just hope that that's part of the picture i think you're right i think people now are starting to realize oh we probably shouldn't keep animals in tanks although large marine mammals are still in tanks in places like sea world which is garbage but Uh, there's less of them there's way less there's way less and a lot of people don't like it. They don't like going to see them there. You know, I think you're right. There's been a lot of uh, progress in that front. So it's like one of those things where you're like, that was super terrible that it happened. Hopefully we can turn this into like a more positive outcome for everyone, right? Turn that frown upside down. Yeah. <laughs> turn it into conservation. Hopefully. <laughs> turn that frown into conservation. <laughs> i mean that's a good message in general in 2020 <laughs> yeah no it's true you gotta stay upbeat covid man covid uh, hey liz yeah do you want to talk to us about crows 
Will do. And I'm more professionally prepared this one. <laughs> I can't wait. Kaka. We didn't watch the movie. Okay. <laughs> Did you say Kaka? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the chicken dance from Arrested Kaka. Development? Well, what's funny is that, like, the third line. Kaka! Of- <laughs> it is the chicken dance, yeah. The third line of my notes here says, ka, ka, in quotation marks. (laughs) Okay. So crows and ravens are similar. They're both members of the family Corvidae. Ravens are quite a bit bigger and they have deeper, croakier calls. They sound a bit like a frog. They're kind of like, Um, (laughs) they can live around here, but they're mostly like a little bit further north. And then in like northern and western north america like i used to see them a lot when i was a kid in bc but you can see ravens around here it's not like crazy so they have the kind of like weird croaky sound and they're quite a bit bigger than crows and crows are smaller and have that distinctive caca sound Mm -hmm. that you're and crows are fucking (laughs) everywhere crows live everywhere and other birds in the Corvidae family are like jays, blue jays, mockingbirds, that sort of thing. Like those kind of big wily birds, as I call them, because they're all pretty mm-hmm. smart. And they like, they're pretty opportunistic, like they're scavengers and they'll eat birds' eggs and others in other birds' nests and that sort of thing. So they're both really smart. They can problem solve. They can figure out how to open things like garbage cans and in tests in captivity. Um, there's a ton of videos on YouTube they can figure out complex problems and they use sticks as tools. Like they can pick up marbles. Yeah. Yeah. They can pick up marbles in like a, you know what a Rube Goldberg machine is when you like move one thing or press one button and it like sets uh, Mm -hmm. a bunch of uh, things in action. They can like figure out stuff like that. You just have to YouTube like crows and puzzles and you'll see a ton of stuff about Mm. it. So they're super smart. And This goes against hundreds of years of presumption on the part of humans that birds were of low intelligence because their brains are really small, hence the term bird brain. Bird brain. (laughs) Yeah. And so despite having a small brain cavity, they're pretty smart. So some evidence of this intelligence, it's kind of attractive to think that crows and ravens might be friends because they're pretty similar. But actually, because they're so similar, they have similar food sources and they share a lot of similar habitats. So Mm. they're actually pretty natural competitors in the wild. And one-on-one ravens dominate because of their size. But crows will actually gang up on ravens in order to beat them in a fight. And that's that's been witnessed, like, a lot. And so, like, crows, like, they don't fuck around. Because their intelligence and their ability to, like, roll with the punches and adapt... Crows especially have thrived in human settlements. So, I mean, there's crows all over the place, right? You got Melody, mm-hmm. you have a garden. You're probably constantly beating them back. I read uh, about this crow study where they gave crows a glass of water that had a worm in it, but the water level was below their reach. So they also gave them a pile of rocks and they were just like, here's what you got. And so like all the crows took the rocks, put them in the glass of water and raised the water level like until they could just grab the worm. And they had different strategies. So like one of the crows just took a bunch of big rocks and just like kind of went for it. And then another crow took the little ones and was like really methodical and trying to figure out like the exact way to get it up there. Yeah, they're they're on the level. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you about some studies that have been done with them. But before that, I'm going to tell you about this thing that I think is really funny. So crows are really like territorial and they they're like your neighborhood crows. If you see a crow, chances are you've seen that crow before. 
So in one neighborhood in Vancouver, people have had to protect themselves against crows during breeding season because the crows are protecting their nests from predators, of which there are many like ravens, raccoons, other kind of carnivorous animals. And so people in this neighborhood in Vancouver are like dive bombed by the crows and chased by the crows and their dogs are harassed by the crows. And the city of Vancouver has just said like, listen, it's only for a little while. Just use an umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they can be pretty aggressive. And so, but one thing that's cool about them in terms of them being creatures of habit, like they live in the same neighborhoods year in and year out, is that every night they go home to the same roosting place. And so in the evenings, like just before dark, you, if you see a lot of crows together, like in a tree and they're all squawking, or you maybe you see multiple flocks of crows in neighboring trees they're on their way to the roosting site for the evening. And I see it all the time in my neighborhood. And so when they all fly together, it's called the river of crows. So they're all going back to their roost at the same time every night. So if you Google river of crows, a couple of YouTube videos will come up and it will show like these huge flocks of crows in my neighborhood. It's, it's less, it's more like a hundred or 200 animals, but it's still pretty cool. And it's still very evident but it's a large group of animals going in one direction. Hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. River of crows. And one time I heard on the CBC radio, cause the radio that I get is Ottawa. Same with melody probably. And the 417, which is like a commuter road, the 417 was slowed down because there was such a huge river of crows passing over the highway that people were slowing down to look at it. So it was like a traffic issue. Huh. No way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about these two different studies that kind of that really prove that crows are smart. If you didn't already know it, a researcher at the university of Washington, Seattle campus uh, wanted to see if crows could recognize individual faces and so he de- he um, had a bunch of his researchers uh, use two masks when they were trapping and uh, putting leg bands on the crows, which, even though it doesn't cause them any major problems, obviously they don't really like that. So he designated the caveman mask as the danger mask and a Dick Cheney mask as a neutral mask. <laughs> and so the researchers... Dick Cheney were- is never neutral. <laughs> <laughs> so the... The caveman mask was the mask that the researchers would wear when they banded the crows, when they caught them and banded them. And then when they were just like wandering around campus, they would wear the Dick Cheney mask. So the the crows scolded people in the danger mask more than before they were trapped. Like it was a very evident Mm. reaction that while the person walking around with the mask on, they'd get yelled at. And they recognized the mask even when it was disguised, like worn upside down or with a hat. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. And the birds reacted loudly and persistently when the dangerous mess was seen. And the number of birds that reacted, this is the kicker, far outnumbered the amount of birds that were originally trapped, which means that the crows told the other birds about the person. Oh, so they had a way of communicating it. Yeah, for sure. And then there's this other study on crows about like how they reacted to their dead. And so, uh, yeah. So there's this kind of thing that like crows have funerals for their dead Mm -hmm. uh, and we have no idea if they actually do, but like they feel something. And another study on crows and their dead found that crows who saw humans with dead crows were identified and reacted to loudly for a long time after the crows saw the human with the dead crow. And the researchers tested this by showing themselves to the crows with a dead rock pigeon and it didn't elicit the same reaction. 
Hmm. And I think they also showed the crows a dead crow and a falcon. And that scared them even more because they associate the the falcon with death because falcons eat crows. And so these studies definitely show that not only do they recognize faces, but they recognize danger to themselves as opposed to danger to other animals. That's and then they tell the rest of their, their people about it. Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah, crows are smart. Super smart. That's it. That's all I got. I like it. When I was in high school and coincidentally or not, (laughs) this was around the time I was obsessed with the movie, the crow. I used to take the same bus, like at the same time and then walk like four blocks to get to class. And there was a crow that I would always see like at this on the same power line, like in the same spot, like every single day. And it would usually kind of fly down the street as I was walking to school. And I was like, this is a sign (laughs) (laughs) where we have a bond. (laughs) He's walking me to school. (laughs) That's adorable. Which I mean, maybe it was from what you've said, if they can recognize people. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, like he probably saw you every single day. Yeah. It could have been a total coincidence. And it was just like, I have to go there too. (laughs) Um, It could have been, but but the question is, did you jerk the crow off? or? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really want to get into that because it's like kind of like a dark time. In right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, <laughs> I was rejected. <laughs> Dang. Do you guys want to hear about Alex the parrot? Yeah, yeah, we do. Okay. Alex the parrot is so cool. Alex the parrot was an African gray parrot and the subject of a 30-year experiment by Irene Pepperberg, who was an animal psychologist. He lived from 1976 to 2007, and Pepperberg bought him at a pet store when he was about a year old and named him Alex, which was an acronym for Avian Language Experiment. Clever, no? Ooh. (laughs) I feel like if something goes on for 30 years, it needs to have another name than experiment. Like mm-hmm. it, there should be like a better, like like a next level. It's, word it's for experience that. now. Avian language experience. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a thirty-year experience. Yes, <laughs> I like it. Before Dr. Pepperberg and Alex's work, birds weren't considered to be intelligent as they use like mimicking and repetition to interact typically, or that's what people thought. However, Mm -hmm. this bird's accomplishment suggested that birds may be able to like reason and use words creatively and like really use language. Dr. Pepperberg compares Alex's intelligence to that of dolphins and great apes. Uh, She said that he showed the intelligence of a five-year-old human in some respects and hadn't reached his full potential at the time of his death. So he, when he died, he was like 41 and they lived to be like 80. So oh, he could have. Die. He just had like heart failure or something. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I, I uh, jumped the gun. Yeah, that's okay. Um, he had the emotional intelligence, she said, of a two year old human, approximately. So the training that she did with him used a model rival technique, which she sort of developed because people had had a hard time training birds this extensively up to this point. And so she developed this technique where she would work with a lab technician and they would basically act as the bird and she would be the trainer. And so she would say like, what color block or whatever? And they would answer. And then they would actually even like pretend to like preen themselves and like scratch their face and act like a bird. (laughs) And because... Because he was bonded with 
Dr. Pepperberg, the researcher, he would want to please her, right? So he would watch this other like individual taking all the attention and then he'd want to do it himself. And she mm-hmm. actually made like great strides in bird research because of this technique. So, and later on in life, he would take on the role of trainer when they're training other birds, which was kind of cool, too. So he would like model the behavior and sort of teach these lessons to the younger birds. He could identify 50 different objects, he could recognize quantities up to six, distinguish seven different colors, five shapes, he could understand concepts of bigger, smaller, same, different. He had a vocabulary of over 100 words but seemed to have a pretty good understanding of what he said. So when shown an object and asked about it, he could identify its shape, the color, the material, and he could identify an object no matter the size or the color. So like a key, he could say it was a key no matter how big it was or whatever color. Um, Oh, that's so crazy. And he could, yeah. And he could identify differences between different things. He was also the first and only non-human ever as of i think i read this on wikipedia so that should be reasonably up to date the first and only ever non-human to ask a question so he looked in a mirror and said what color and then they told him gray and he learned the color gray after like them repeating it six times he was so smart wow wow alex what matter Whoa. That's right. Whoa. How many? Chow. That's right. You're a good you boy. Go no, you sweetie. No, you can't go back yet. You got to... want some water? All right. Do you want some water? Or are you just asking to interrupt? Are you just asking to interrupt? I know. Go back. I know. Okay. Look. What color bigger? What color bigger? Green. Green. Oh, you're a good go boy. <laughs> can i go back no <laughs> can i have some water <laughs> water and he says it with an accent oh, just like her <laughs> i know i was just thinking that like if the person teaching him had a different accent he would sound different uh-huh uh-huh so when they're training him if he would get bored he'd say want to go back to say he wanted to go back to his yeah. little cage. And, like, they would keep the door open. It's not like they were locking him in. He just wanted to, like, go to his pad. Um, or he would sometimes use his beak and, like, knock all the objects off the tray. Or he'd turn around and preen himself and just ignore them. Um, and right. uh, Dr. Pepperberg had said that if she came to the lab and she didn't greet him first, before the other birds, Arthur and Griffin, he wouldn't work with her that day, like, at all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he wasn't trained in saying where he wanted to go he like picked that up just conversationally um also if he asked for one type of treat or food but was given another he wouldn't eat it until they gave him what he asked for (laughs) and he'd display irritation Yeah, so he's a two-year-old yes he'd like sometimes if they give him food that wasn't what he'd ask for he'd pick it up and then throw it at the lab technician (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) okay so a long time ago, and I think it was on like a Greyhound bus, I have this memory of listening to the Moth podcast, and Irene Pepperberg was on it talking about Alex after he died. And the Moth podcast, if you're not familiar, it's recorded in front of a live audience, and it's people telling stories, and then they air it as like a radio show and podcast. So she tells a story on the Moth podcast about recording a BBC radio show. And so she has one orange square wood toy. And she says, Alex, what color? And he says, 
no, what shape? And so she says, <laughs> <laughs> so she says four corner, which is what they call square. They say four corner or three corner for a triangle. So she says four corner. Okay. And he says to her, what matter? And so she says, wood. Can you tell me what color? And then he says, how many? So she says, there's one toy here, Alex. And, she, you know, she says part of her is thinking like, this is cool. He's not just being an automaton and answering like what she wants him to say. But then the other part, of course, she's wanting to show what he's capable of because they're like recording a radio show. So she says, come on, tell me what color. And he says, no, what shape? So she decides to give him a timeout, basically, and walks out of the room. And then he says from the other room, I'm sorry, come here, orange. (laughs) Wow. (sighs) And then she tells another story about how they're doing a demonstration for some people who are coming through the lab and they're only going to be there for a few minutes. And he kept asking for a nut and they're working on training him with fridge magnets, like the colorful letters. And they were starting to train him on like what graphic, what letter makes what sound, right? Or like what sound does the orange letter make? And he was sort of getting bored with it. So he kept asking for a nut after every letter, but the people (laughs) were there for like five minutes. And so she didn't want them to be like sitting there waiting for him to eat a nut. So she was saying, no, no, like, not yet. And he kept getting more and more aggressive about it. And so he says, want a nut? Want a nut? That he goes, n uh, t nut. <laughs> which, was, <laughs> which was very impressive because they had trained him on the N sound and the T sound, but no one ever trained him on the letter U. And so he actually parsed oh, out so the good. sounds of the word on his own. <laughs> and like spelled wow. out the word nut. <laughs> that's amazing that's more than a two-year-old soren can't do that <laughs> <laughs> and then i have one more funny story to tell you they're working on a test another time and she said what color three and there were like they had different toys in the group and different numbers but there were, there's nothing in a group of five but he kept answering five so she said what color three and he would go five and so then she said what color five and he said none and so he was using the concept of zero. Mm-hmm. He'd never used the concept of zero before, except in answering what was, the, what was the same or different about something. So she'd say, like, what's the same about these things? What's different? And if there's nothing the same about them, he would say none. But he was, like, transferring the concept of the absence of an attribute to the absence of a set of objects. Very, mm. like, complex thinking. Yeah. And she said that humans in the West didn't have the concept of absence until the 1600s. Is that true? Did we not know about the number zero until the 1600s? Yeah, zero as a concept arrived a lot earlier in like India and parts of Asia. But in the well, West, it took a lot longer. The um, the Arab nations, like the Muslim scientists back in like like the maths and science and physics and stuff that was going on in the Middle East, way more advanced than in Europe. Yeah. Well, because their societies were way older, right? So mm-hmm. it's like they just had a lot more time to work on math. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, right. But it's, yeah, it's definitely an advanced concept. It's pretty yes. abstract. He also created yeah. some compound words like cocoa. So they gave him cake and he didn't know the word for cake, but he knew the word for bread and he knew the word for yummy. So he called it yummy bread oh man just like coco uh-huh. coco did that <laughs> and he didn't know the word for apple so he created the word binary which i guess dr pepperberg knew a linguist because she was working at a couple different um 
universities at Harvard and Brandeis, and I don't remember the other one. But she spoke to this linguist, and they said, well, maybe it's a combination of banana and cherry, because he knows those fruits better. And mm. it sort of tastes more like banana, but it's the shape of a cherry. And so he called it binary, which was kind of neat. Ooh. At the time of his death, they were working on optical illusions. They were doing a study on how parrots see specifically. And then he was able, because of the language thing, he could like communicate this stuff to her, which is very interesting. Um, and his last words were, you be good. See you tomorrow. I love you. <gasps> because they had this nightly routine. You be good. See you tomorrow. I love you. <laughs> and when she was on the moth she talked a lot about how she always viewed him as a colleague and so like she loved him but she loved him like as a colleague of 30 years and when he died she like went Mm -hmm. right into interview mode and didn't really process it initially uh because like it was a huge deal she was getting like thousands literally thousands of emails phone ringing off the hook and so she just went into interview mode And it didn't really hit her until she received this box of letters from like school children. And there's a note from a little boy that said something along the lines of, I know how you feel. My grandma died last year. Your heart will heal. And then she realized that she'd like basically lost the most important person of her life. (laughs) But she'd sort of kept him in her mind at this distance because he was like a colleague and not like a friend or a child or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, she still works with the two younger parrots, Arthur and Griffin, and um, they're very, very smart, too. But she said what made Alex so special is that he was her only parrot for, like, 15 years, and she cared for and treated him like family, basically. Mm-hmm. And he did help teach the younger ones. And, and they would often, like, when they were doing the testing with the younger animals, the younger birds, rather, they would look to him for answers. Like, they just wouldn't answer and would let him <laughs> That's so sweet. Yes, that's what I have on Alex the Parrot. I like Alex. Mm-hmm. Died at 41, but he seems pretty cool. And if you look on the internet, if you look on YouTube for like African gray parrots, or just parrots in general, there are a lot of chatty parrots out there. It's very cool. There <laughs> really are. And there are a lot of chatty parrots that cuss like yes, fucking Yes, a lot of swearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, before we go, real quick, yeah. what are you guys listening to? Podcast, audiobook, song, slash band, slash musician, anything? Oh. I'm still just listening to Aya uh, yeah, Dude. <laughs> <laughs> just keeping it real over here, listening to Aya uh, yeah, Dude. This is pretty with John, Seth. <laughs> are they doing anything interesting for all just this like with. isolation stuff? They're still doing it, but they're doing it social distanced with masks right. on. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great show. I can't recommend it highly enough. Cool, cool, cool. They've been in the game since 2006. They're just the best. I can't believe you're still <laughs> listening <laughs> to that. That's hilarious. And like, I've been just listening that. to it for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. And that's it. You don't listen to any other podcast. Uh, I listen to Teach Me yeah. Tiger. I okay, <laughs> like sometimes dip into Radiolab, but I don't. You know what it is. Oh, yeah, dude has never had ads. And because they were my like primary source of podcasting, if I hear an ad on a podcast, I'm just like, I can't do this. Like, it just upsets me. <laughs> it was like, why are you doing this? Why do I need to listen to the same stupid blue apron, whatever the fuck? Like, no, I'm out. Do you give them money? 
Do you give a yeah dude money? Uh, I don't right now, but I was and I will again. But I I have some of their merch and I go to their live shows. Cool. Yeah. You're a a model podcast listener. Listeners, here's the thing. If you don't want ads, you have to give (laughs) us money because we do this all for free with our spare time just for people to enjoy. So give us give me money, please. Like it's not like (laughs) I enjoyed this too. It's for our No, it's not, Nikki. It's all for the listeners and they owe us huge. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. (laughs) This was terrible. I just suffered through this with two of my closest friends for you. It was awful. I even cried. Please make it stop. Liz, what are you listening to? Any music? You often say podcasts. Are you listening to music, Liz? Well, recently, JM and I have been listening to The Knife, which is not new. They're a Swedish pop band. Um, In terms of pop, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to that much music. I am also listening to... Uh, a true crime podcast called the fall line and another one about royal like royal history, which I'm not really interested in royalty because like regular people are cool too. But this woman who does the podcast noble blood, she tells the stories in a really cool way. So uh, I've been listening to that. Cool. 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 It's called noble blood. And what uh, royalty like, like the British monarchy or just like, like European monarchy, you know, but not in one specific country, like just all over the place. Just all over the place. That's so anyway, great. Noble Blood, it's cool. a cool podcast. What are you listening to, Melody? Oh, great question. Great question. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, that's something I'd love to answer for you. <laughs> no, my answer is really lame um, because I'm home with my kids all the time now because COVID. My kids pick the music a lot of the time and Holly's really into Taylor Swift right now and shake it all shake it all that's a great song i actually think that's a really great song it is and i really like it we listen to it yeah shake it off taylor swift and have you listened to the ryan adams cover of that whole album 1989 no that's a thing that some people are into he does a whole cut like he covers the entire album but with his like sort of acoustic indie rock guy thing i'm actually not that into it if I'm honest, it doesn't sound like something <laughs> I would like, to be honest. I was like, how do I react to this? This sounds terrible. <laughs> Someone told me to listen to it. And I was like, uh. hard ass. Is this like no, Brian Adams? Brian Ryan Adams. Brian with an R. And people are, so I've heard of him, but I, I don't know a lot about him. him. I know that people are super <laughs> into him and I haven't historically been super into him, but he's very popular. He needs yeah, people really like him. I don't know. <laughs> He's fairly handsome, but anyway, uh. I think that um, in post production, I'm obviously gonna have to play if I haven't already a little clip of Taylor Swift "Shake It Off" and then a little clip of Ryan Adams "Shake It Off." Don't you think? I go on too many dates, <laughs> but I can't make them stay. At least.
just can't. I give it a, a firm <laughs> meh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we listen literally in our house. We listen to jazz, top 40, and hip hop. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> there's no room for indie rock in this house anymore. <laughs> fair. Fair. Um, Nicole, Elizabeth, do either of you have anything you'd like to promote? I have nothing. I'm okay. dead inside. Okay. <laughs> well, in these COVID times, if you are in the GTA area and have an M postal code, you can get long slays beer and food from the aviary delivered to your house. Nice. So that won't apply to everyone. But obviously. if you're in the greater um, Toronto area, Toronto. But if you're in the GTA and you have an M postal code you can hit up the aviary and long slice and get some delicious beer and food delivered to your house contactless delivery is it, hashtag covid is it just like um how do people do it uh, it's online but how do we do it we how do we it. order the beer and the food how do we make this happen aviarybrewpub.com so aviary is a-v-i-a-r-y like where birds mm. go Speaking of birds, so aviarybrewhub.com and you can peep their e-store and get some delivery on there for yummy beer and food. Did you say also peep doing... their e-store? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who are you? Peep it. Just I don't know. I feel like that's a thing that kids peep say. It, Liz, peep it. But they're doing this really cool thing where they've put together these packages where you can like buy food and booze. And then you can also buy, it's called a community meal. So they've partnered with a shelter and they're making uh, food for a shelter in Regent Park. Oh, nice. So it's kind of awesome. So you can like get something for yourself and then something for the community that's in that area. Nice. Nice. Just be cool. cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Do you have anything to promote, Melanie? Oh, not really. I just found out today that I have like a backlog going back to, let's see, June 4th, 2019 of messages that people have sent me through my art website, melodystarkweather.ca, requesting artwork that I haven't received until today because oh, wow. they haven't been emailing to what? my email address. No. So, oh, no. How many? They weren't being forwarded? Actually, like quite a few people have sent me <laughs> inquiries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you're listening man. people I'm sorry <laughs> anyway melodystarkweather.ca I'm doing like ink stuff right now I'm doing like I'm painting with India ink and it's it's cool thanks. I like it thanks pricing it. wise it's like the same as the pencil drawing so um, more affordable yeah cool um, and you can find the podcast which is where most of my energy goes at teachmetigerpodcast.ca you can also go follow us on facebook and instagram both are again at teach me tiger podcast and we're on apple podcasts and everywhere else please subscribe rate review all of that stuff that helps us and if you have literally two dollars a month to spare consider going to patreon.com slash teach me tiger podcast to support us and get access to our many bonus episodes Woo! That was a mouthful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Melody. You guys are the bomb, diggity. Thanks, Mel. Oh, so thanks. are you. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much to anyone who's still listening at this point. I truly commend you. <laughs> and remember. 
It's the jungle, jungle out there. there. Teach me, Tiger, how to tease you. Whoa.